Turn your Bibles to John 8, if you haven't already. Um, We've got some pretty powerful and important stuff that we're going to walk through this morning. In John chapter 8, uh, the goal is to cover 12 through 30. So Jesus here in this text is continuing to teach um, the masses. Okay, he's in the temple area and he's teaching um, many people in this instance. Um, and we come to a portion of scripture where, um, okay, if, so if I were to ask you about yourself, okay, who are you, like what defines you, there's probably a couple things that you would be like your go-to statements, okay, like, you know, some, some things about you, like this is who I am, Okay, well, Jesus, we know from, from the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of John, that there's seven statements. Um, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard that there's seven, seven key statements in the Gospel of John that really describe, here's who Jesus is. Okay, well, we come to, to one of those statements this morning. Um, the first one happened in John uh, 6, talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Okay, you might be familiar with you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, here in this instance, John uh, chapter 8, verse 12, he starts out by saying this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. So this is one of the key I am statements of Christ. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I want you to picture this. Okay, so... Um, for the vast majority of you, um, I don't have to stand up here and convince you of the credibility of Jesus. Okay, now there's a handful of people that I don't know very deeply in the room, but for the vast majority of you that I know, I don't have to, I don't have to set out this vast argument that Christ is trustworthy and that he's credible, but picture here, okay, just in the marketplace or in the church scene, someone standing up and basically saying, Follow me, and you will have hope and meaning in your life, and everything will be okay. Follow me. I mean, that's essentially what Jesus is doing, right? I am the light of the world. You follow me, you won't walk in darkness. Everything is going to be okay. Now, Jesus wouldn't be the first guy to stand up and claim to have all the answers, right? Probably every single president that's ever taken office on some level claims, I have the strategy, I have the plan, I know how to turn the ship, because the last guy totally jacked it up, and I know how to, you know, like, I mean, that's every every presidency, right? Or every position of leadership. Okay, now, there's probably numerous people we can look at historically that have claimed something. Now, obviously, we know, you and I know, Jesus here is is a different guy, right? We know he's, he's God, he's the son of God. It's a different story. I don't have to convince most of you of that. But the Pharisees here, they question his credibility. Look at verse 13. It says, so the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Okay, so Jesus, picture this. Jesus starts with this vast, important statement about who he is. I am the light of the world. Now, it appears here that the the religious leaders are trying to totally divert the conversation. Okay, on an issue of whether or not he's even credible to, to believe what he has to say. Well, you know, Jesus, you, no. 
Okay? They say you're, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Okay, so um, when I don't pastor, I, I'm an artist, a sandwich artist. I manage a subway part-time. Um, and so if, imagine if I said that my store was the greatest store in all of the land. That there's no better subway. I even ate subway last night for dinner, which is kind of funny. After 26 years, you'd think I'd be sick of it. It's actually something I wanted. I went to the store, purchased subway, um, even though I could drive 30 minutes and get it for free. But anyway, so um, imagine if, if I said it's the best, my store is the best one anywhere, okay? But I had a bucket load of customers that would file complaints, that would say this store is dirty, this store is terrible, okay? On top of that, what if... Corporate regularly filed violations against us. Okay? Regularly, um, the health department put uh, out of compliance issues, food safety violations. Look at the best subway in the land. Right? I mean, is it, does it really matter what I, okay? I can say we have a grade A store, but if the health department comes and they put a C on the front door, Okay, that's, it's a C, right? Okay, because who knows, I could think that, you know, putting bugs in the tuna adds the more, more protein and like, it's the best subway in the land for, you know, like, right? Okay, so there's an instance here. here here's, here's the translation. Here's the point. That on some level, authority validates credibility. Authority validates Credibility. So here's Jesus, and he's coming to make these massive claims about who he is. Okay, and we'll, we'll hash this out, but let me spill the beans now, because the, the means by which Jesus is validated, his authority is validated, is because he's not just speaking for himself. He's been sent by his heavenly Father, who is his authority. We see that over and over again. He's like, I don't do anything apart from my Father initiating me and engaging me to be who I am and do what I've been called to do. Okay, so authority validates credibility. And, and here in this moment, Christ's credibility is questioned. Okay, you can't speak for yourself and answer for yourself and be your own witness. Here's an interesting thing that I want to I point out. And I think that we have to see over and over again in the scriptures is this. You want to follow Christ? You want to be a person that seeks to live your life in pursuit of Christ, you're going to face opposition. I mean, this, this isn't even the first instance where Jesus, okay, we're trying to model our lives after Jesus. What happens? Opposition all over the place. No one likes him. Everyone's trying to throw him under the bus. Our lives in many ways, wouldn't be much different, shouldn't be much different. Christ-likeness equals opposition in our lives. So here these opponents of Jesus say, you can't bear witness about yourself, okay? Now Jesus, here, listen, Jesus goes with it, right? So, so it, it almost seems like the whole conversation is going to take a detour, because he started about, about, here's who I am, okay? And Jesus goes with it, and initially it's going to appear like Jesus... Like, they got him. They got him off track. Like, here's where he started, and then they throw this credibility curveball at him, and, and now they got him off track from, but really, 
Jesus goes with it because he's going to establish his credibility and the means by which he says, I am the light of the world, is because of who sent him. Because he's been sent by his father. Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. When I was in college, I was traveling home, uh, about a two-hour drive. Uh, I think I was going to make it in about an hour 45 in this trip. Um, You'll understand what I mean by that in a second. So I was traveling home with my fiancé, presently the girl that I'm married to. It's going to be 10 years on Wednesday, praise God. Um, And uh, we're traveling home, and and we're getting ready to leave. And Danielle looks at me, and she's like, don't get pulled over, okay? I'm like, yeah, babe, of course not, of course not. So she lays the seat back, and she falls asleep. So I'm just driving along, got my cruise set, you know, like, you know, like the perfect speed that like will get you there quicker, but won't get you pulled over, right? Okay, so I come over the crest of this hill, and there's a cop sitting there, okay? Now, in this moment, I'm thinking very practically, very logically, okay? Because what you don't want to do when you see a cop is hit your brakes, because then they're like, well, you know that you were going too fast. You hit your brakes. So I'm like, here, you know my trick? You disable the cruise, okay? You don't hit your brakes. You, you know, turn the cruise off. Well, in this instance, I accidentally hit accelerate on the cruise, okay? So, and, and, and then I think it hit the brakes, so I was like, it's just going to go bad. So pulls pulls me over. Um, I, he's getting out of the car. I lean over, babe, babe. I'm getting, I'm getting pulled over. I didn't want her to wake up and wonder what's going on. And so I'm like, I'm getting pulled over. Um, so the cop comes up to the car and gives me the talk and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and he's like, I need you to step out of the car. And I'm like, this never goes good when they do this. So, um, so I have my wallet in my hand because I just handed my license to him. And I hand it, I hand it to Daniel. Here, babe. And I, take, and I get out of the car and he takes me to the back of the car. And he's like, uh... Where are you going? He starts totally just question. I'm just like, gosh, this guy's like on a power trip. Like, um, like I'm in big trouble here. And, and he's like, you, you got something in your car? And I'm like, no, I'm just driving home from school. He's like, when I pulled you over right before I came up, you put something in the back seat. What you, would you put back? I'm like, my fiance was sleeping. I bent over to wake her up. The seat's back. So it was like, you know, back, I bent over to wake her up. He thought I had hid something, right? Um, and then he's like, when you got out of the car, what'd you hand to her? My wallet. It's my wallet. And so he, he begins to go on this like, you sped up. Were you trying to get away? <laughs> so I couldn't like tell him, explain all that. I was like, yeah, I accidentally like, no, I wasn't trying to get away. Um, and, and so here I am trying to defend myself with all due respect Okay, before this officer that I believe was on a massive power trip, he put me in his car, he like gave me this talking to, was like, you know, and I'm like, dude, check my car. Like, I'm just headed home from school, I got nothing. Okay, now, here in this moment, really my words meant very little to him. 
Okay, my witness, my testimony about myself meant very little to him. And even Jesus, you know, he makes this statement. Um, I'm, where I come from and where I'm going, I know where it is, but you, you don't know. So this cop, he didn't know where I came from. He didn't know where I was going. He didn't know who I just spent time with or who maybe just packed the back of my car with something he shouldn't have packed the back of my car. He didn't know that. Okay? And, and in this instance, they're throwing out the credibility of Christ in the same way this officer's throwing out my credibility because I'm just a guy that's trying to defend myself and not get in trouble. Okay, when in reality, part of what authenticates our credibility is, is a life that's lived out in authenticity and in truthfulness that not everyone knows or sees or can bear witness to, especially a stranger. Okay, but here in this moment, Christ, in the same way that I knew, okay, I was guilty of speeding, yes, but I wasn't guilty of hiding anything or, you know, but I, I, I couldn't. I knew in my conscience, I knew in my heart, like, man, I'm clean, man. Write me a ticket for speeding, but I'm not hiding anything. I'm not, um, Christ knew the same thing as well. He's like, I'm, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know who I've been sent by. And then Jesus even goes on in verse 17 to show some of this. He understands the argumentation here when he says, In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. So under Jewish law, the situation was that when testimony was given in the court of law, a suspect could be convicted only on the basis of the testimony of two witnesses. And they had to agree. So they'd come to someone who had an offense, and there had to be two witnesses who said, this is the offense, and we both agree with that. Okay, Jesus is like, I know, I know that. But even Jesus agreed with it, because in 531, he said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. You know what I get from that? If you and I as Christians walk out these doors and seek to live the Christian life in our own power and in our own strength, we're in a whole lot of trouble because even Jesus didn't seek to go out and live in, in his own power and in his own strength as the Son of God. He relied vastly upon his authority that gave him credibility, who he was sent by. Listen, you and I are sent out by God. He is our authority. He, like, there should be a means by which us as Christians, we walk not with a sense of pride, not with a sense of cockiness, but we walk with a sense of confidence. This is who God says that I am. This is who he's called me to be. I've not given you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind. Why? Because I got this? No. Because he does. Because he's God. He's the one who's saved us. He's the one who's put his spirit within us. He's the one who protects us, who defends us. He's our savior. He's our authority. And that's the same exact thing Jesus is walking in here. Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, 
you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So picture this instance. Jesus is talking about my father. My father's the one who sent me. Well, they're like, who's your father? Like Joseph? Joseph sent you? Like that's what you're, you're going to claim? Like it's the whole like, you know, I'm going to get my dad on you, right? Okay, well, who, who's your daddy? Who's your father here? And they, I mean, he even says it. You don't know, you don't know me. If you don't know my father, you don't know me. And if you don't know me, you don't know my father. Because here's the truth of the matter. You can't dichotomize the Trinity. They're one. Yes, they have different roles. Yes, they have different functions. But they bear witness to one another. They stand on the authority of one another. They walk in the power that's been given to them from one another. You're like, who cares? Like, why does that matter? Listen, we can have a, a brilliant horizontal theology about how to love people, but if we don't understand vertically the theology of who God is, it's going to jack up anything and everything we try to do horizontally with people. Okay? Because you can't separate the Trinity. The Father and Son bear witness to one another of the truthfulness of who they are. Now, um, is this a detour? Is Jesus still kind of going on this detour? No, as I said before, Jesus, all this is affirming the initial statement that Jesus makes, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, now we're going to come back to that in depth here in a second. But I want you to notice something in this passage. Look, look down at your Bible, verse 20. Now look at what it says. These words he spoke in the treasuries, he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the third instance in the Gospel of John where this language is used, his hour has not yet come. Um, there's something in the, in the Gospels that you need to know about. Uh, there's the time example. But there's two types of time. You and I know time like, gosh, it's this time and he's still talking. Unbelievable. Are we done yet? Okay, we know clock time, okay? Um, but there's another element of time that, that we know of, but I don't know that we think about a lot, okay? Um, the, the, the first word is, is chronos, the second word is kairos. And kairos time is really this historic, okay? Not a linear progression, but actually a moment, okay? An extended moment, an opportune moment, a historic moment, or maybe we could say a divine moment. Okay? And here, Jesus, it says that he wasn't arrested because his time had not yet come. What does that mean? It means that God, ultimately God was in control. The Father was in control of the life of his son Jesus as he walked on the earth. Okay? And he governed the very means and the very time and the very kairos moment with which he would say, okay, it's time for him to die. Okay? Listen, the same is true in, in my life and your life. Where God sees us. He knows us. He, listen, you know your days are numbered? You know that? Like, we don't like to think about that. Okay? I grieve the loss of my 30-year-old friend's death to cancer. But her days were numbered. Like God knew how he was going to bring glory to his name. And the timing of how that would look and the picture and how that would be portrayed. He knew. He knew. 
that's the truth here that we see. Okay, why, why didn't they arrest him? Because God has a plan. He's working something out that you and I don't know, we don't see. And by his grace, he doesn't even, want, he doesn't even explain it to us because it would further our fear and our inability to really understand what in the world he's doing because our minds are finite. Verse 21, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. So they're thoroughly confused. I wouldn't say at this point, like they've been confused the whole time and they're trying to get their minds around, wrapped around who this guy is. Um, even though they probably wouldn't admit that they're confused, they're thoroughly confused. Um, it continues, 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You're, you are of this world, I am not of this world. So basically he's, he's like, the reason why you don't get it is because your mind is frail and broken and you cannot comprehend. Unless I give you the means to comprehend. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay, so he makes this strikingly stark statement about the condition of unless you believe in me. Same, same truthful statement for you and I even here today. Unless you believe in me, you'll die in your sins. So he's, he's cautioning them to the reality of Death, the wrath of God poured out in hell. So they said to him, who are you? Okay, he's got to be thoroughly frustrated at this point, right? I mean, he's like, I've been trying to explain to you the whole time who I am, and you don't get it. So what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he didn't speak to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Okay, you, know what the, you know what he's saying? It's like, you don't realize what's going on here. You don't realize who I am. You're trying to throw me under the bus as to the credibility that I am. But, but you're going to put me on a cross. And it's going to be in that moment that you're going to come to the realization that I am who I say I am, that your eyes are going to be opened to who I say that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in his name. Here's the crazy thing about what just happened. Did Jesus perform any miracles? Did Jesus perform any miraculous signs? No. He taught. He spoke. And what happened? People believed. It wasn't just through the miraculous. Although people believing is a miraculous work of God. To awaken a dead, sinful heart. 
but he spoke. He taught. People's hearts were changed by the moving of the Spirit of God, and people were saved. Now, this entire dialogue that we've just walked through validates and points back to the initial statements. I want to go back to the initial statement in verse 12, and I want to just spend a couple minutes and wrap up our time in verse 12. When Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you might be familiar with the the words I am. Okay, It's this weird um, construct in the original language. It's just like, I am who I am. Okay, And it's translated the same way in the Old Testament when, when God tells Moses, I want you to go rebuke Pharaoh. Okay, which is a scary calling because Pharaoh's been oppressing God's people for years. And you want me to go and like call him out? He's just going to kill me. So Moses is like, who, who do I say sent me? Like, on what authority? I need some authority to go confront this guy. He says, tell him, I am sent you. Yahweh. Okay, the God who is all I am who I am. His nature and his character. Like, that's what reigns. Like, that's who God, that's who Jesus is. A God who reigns in power, who rules in power. So, you know the truthfulness of this very statement for you and I here in this moment? Is the ability to rest in him. Do you rest very well? Breathe out. I don't. And here, Jesus is saying, I am. Whatever you need today, I am that for you. Rest in me. Rest in me. The things that you're bearing that demands something, rest in him. It's like, I am. I, and what does that not include? Rest in me. Where you find that you're not, where you're not sufficient, you don't have the answer, you don't know how to navigate this, you don't know what's the next step in your life, or how to handle this relationship, or this situation at work, or conflict, or whatever it is. Rest in God today because he knows he's sufficient. He's the hope for your life and the means by which your ongoing sanctification has, is held together. It doesn't just fly off. He's got it. Like I, I wonder if how many of us, if, if we took a poll, would say that you tend to think that it's on you. You know what I'm saying? Now listen, I'm not going to debate response, human responsibility, sovereignty of God. Yes, both in the Bible. Are we responsible for the actions, the things that are good? Yes. Is God God? Absolutely. Absolutely. You wonder where he's at, I guarantee you. He's probably in the midst of the garbage that you see in someone else's life, 
in your own life, the things you're walking through, the joys, the celebrations. He's God. He's got it. I am the light of the world. What, what does light of the world mean? Okay. Um, simply put, the light of the world means that it's either Jesus or darkness. You get that? Okay, so where we remove Jesus from our lives, from the picture, what we're doing is we're perpetuating darkness. A life lived in darkness, in uh, the inability to know and comprehend, the inability to have wisdom. Okay, there's no other light than Jesus. It's Jesus or darkness. Okay, now listen. Like, I know there's not a lot of out loud ameners here, but like, probably some of you are like, yeah, amen. Jesus or darkness, amen. But functional theology, like functionally, do we actually live as if that's true? Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, we, we can live our lives where it's like, I believe it's Jesus or darkness. But yet, what do we do? We cling not to Jesus in our lives. We don't run to him for hope. We don't run to him to, to know him? I'm not even saying just to like, I need an answer. Well, we, you know, we'll do that. I don't know what to do. I got to pray. <laughs> you should do that. <laughs> but, but the invitation to go to him, to know him, to walk with him. That's why Jesus spoke with such urgency that unless you believe that I'm the only light, and live as if it's true, you're going to serve darkness and be destroyed by your sin. We say we believe it, but functionally we struggle to live in it. But the, what's amazing about how this text progresses is, is this invitation. I think this is the most, one of the most mind-blowing realities of the Bible and of Christian teaching for me is the inviting love of God. Any of you like get caught up with that? Like God loves you. Some of you are like, yeah, that's simple. Like, yeah, duh. Like, no. Like, think about that. Okay, so like, like look, look at what this says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so the Christian life isn't a call to tag along with God. Or to have God tag along with you. You still with me? Because I kind of need you. I mean, just stay right here just in case. No. What does it say? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Listen. Christianity is a call to become like him. Not to just have a bailout. If you need some help, throw up a prayer. To the man upstairs. It's an invitation to be like him. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. No, why? Because you're seeking to, to be like him. Does that mean we don't make mistakes? Absolutely not. Does that mean we're not sinners? Absolutely not. But listen, it's a calling and an invitation to know him. 
That our life is not defined by darkness. Our life is not defined by brokenness. Our life is defined by a resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? Our life is defined by a God who, who raised his son from the dead and then put his, himself in us. You need some confidence? You need some hope? Christian, God's in you. You need some hope, non-Christian? God wants to live in you. He doesn't just want to tag along. He wants to live in you. He wants to conform you to him. Listen, when, when life is not defined by darkness, but it's defined by light and hope, listen, this even, this even governs how we talk. It governs how we discipline. It governs how we serve people. It governs how we respond to people. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's what's what's amazing. Okay, that's what two-day-old babies do. Just wait till she's two weeks. She'll, She'll be good. Love you, Rick. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like, listen, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ is yours. Isn't that what it says? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, I am yours. I lived the perfect life. I died the perfect death. I was who you should be. But instead of just calling you to that, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to put my righteousness inside of you and declare that you're not guilty based on the sacrifice of my son for you. But you know what you and I do? We, rather than fighting from a position of victory, of who I am in Christ, I have the confidence I am not condemned. I am secure in Christ. You know what we do? We seek to pursue a righteousness that we already have rather than walking in the righteousness that's ours in Christ. Because what does it say? You will have the light of life. It's yours. He's yours. To walk in to live in victory, to overcome pain and struggle. Sanctification, I say it all the time, is becoming practice who you already are in the eyes of God. So you know what sin is? It's you walking outside of who God's made you to be in Christ. And you know what repentance is? It's repenting of not being who you are as a child of God. That's it. That's it. It's that simple. John writes in 1.4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen, you and I were blind and dead. And that life became ours because God awakened our dead and sinful hearts to the truth of who he is. And he gave us the light of life, and we rest, and we sing, and we celebrate in that. And we're called in that as God's people. To be the light of life to the world. Listen, who are going to oppose us? 
who aren't going to think we're real, who are going to call us liars. But we're secure in Christ, and we know whom we have believed and convinced that he is able to keep that which he's committed until that day. That's the truth of the gospel, and that's the hope of Christ saying, I'm the light of the world. Not you. Your brain, your strategy for reaching your neighbor, unless it's Christ lived through your broken life, it's not going to do it. But I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father God, Your love is amazing. Your invitation that you in this moment invite us to plunge deeper into who you are. No matter who's in this room, no matter where they're at, no matter what doubts are in their minds, no matter what doubts and struggles are in my mind, you invite us to have the light of life. You invite us to to rest, but we need rest. We're a busy people. Forgive us. We need to rest in who you are. We need hope. We need a confidence. But God, help us to realize this morning that we have a confidence. We have a hope. God, have your way. I thank you that you're a God and I'm not. And I thank you that you've invited me to not just stand off in a distance and be amazed alone. Yes, we'll do that. But you've invited us into your presence. Where there's fullness of joy. You've invited us to your right hand where there's pleasures forevermore. So God, I pray that this morning that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just take us a step further in the journey. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever that looks like, I entrust it to you. In Christ's name.